Jonathan. My name's Jonathan Frakes. How are you? The only reason I'm doing this is because Will Wheaton said you guys were cool. He said, I've known him from the beginning. You should do this. ended up on these shores in North America. So the modern world as we know it was built on the backs of people of color who came from West Africa. So this is this is a global story. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast, Facebook.com slash the GBB Podcast. And I'm going through this really fast because we are about to talk to a legend. Yeah, no joke, right? <laughs> that's not even hyperbole. That's just that's just fact. Oh, 100%. And yeah. you click the link because you know who it's going to be. And it's no other than LeVar Burton. And yeah. I don't know anyone that is our age or even younger than us and older than us. We all know who LeVar Burton is. Well, sure. If you have been alive and had a pulse from like 1977 till today, you know who he is. Um, legend. I mean, it's 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 not selling. It's not overselling him at all. And it's just you know. I mean, we talk about this in the interview that you, you know, you're all about to hear. But it's he has this this triple crown in his career that most actors would never even conceive of dreaming of because you know they would be happy with having one. In, in their own career. Right. You know, I mean, between Roots, Star Trek The Next Generation, and Reading Rainbow, you know, LeVar Burton has had this profound impact, not on just not just on popular culture, but on culture, like Amer- like North American culture, um, that most actors never have the opportunity to have. Yep. And you can really tell when talking, like we just got off the phone with him. You can really tell when talking to him, he puts so much care and thought and he has so much passion and into everything that he does and says he's intentional. Like every single question we answered or he answered, he was intentional about what he said. And he yeah. re- you could tell he was thinking about it and he knew and you could yeah. just the passion dripped off of his words as he spoke and we were talking a little bit off air and we had to just start our intro we were saying jamie you were saying what if reading rainbow happened and it didn't have lavar burton in it the reboot yeah i was i was thinking about that you know like what if what if he hadn't gotten his hands on it to be able to reboot it in his own way or what Mm -hmm. if pbs decided you know we're just gonna do a reboot like they do with everything else right we're going to hire some uh, new up and coming actor or even somebody else that is already established that we know, but it's just, it's not him. Would it have succeeded? And would it still be this, would it still be, you don't want to say, would it still be important, but that's kind of Mm -hmm. what I'm, I'm driving at. And I, I just can't see it. I can't see it succeeding without him because aside from the, the, the brilliant message that it gives to young kids and aside from the 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 passion with which it's delivered 
Reading Rainbow is LeVar Burton. Yes. Like, I can't even imagine that show or that that product. You know, now it's it's an app and it's it's a, it's a online bringing books and reading into classrooms. I can't even imagine that without him. I mean, the the two are so integrally tied that you can't even really say that they're two different right. things. I mean, they are one and the same. Well, and Reading Rainbow is not a job to him. I think it's his life. Like, you can tell he's really passionate about it and children's literacy is his life he loves it and he breathes it and lives it and i think that's a very important factor like you may be able to hire anyone to just do it and you know any actor could just step in and read a few books go on some field trips but if they you know if they're not if it's not at the core of who they are it shows yeah and authentic you know authenticity is huge yeah and he's been doing this for you know, close up to 35 years now. So, I mean, this is, this is who he is. This is beyond anything else. I would, you know, I think he would probably agree with this, that of everything that he's done, reading rainbow is probably his life's work. Right. You know, it's, it's what he's been attached to the longest. Exactly. And in this interview, we don't just talk to him about reading rainbow. No, no, no. We don't get LeVar Burton on the phone and only talk (laughs) about one thing. We, we talk roots. We talk Star Trek. We talk. Yeah, we do. I, I have to say, I had a question that I was, I really kind of wanted to ask him, but we, we had a certain amount of time. He, as you can obviously guess, he's pretty busy. And mm-hmm. um, we'd been trying to nail down a specific time to talk to him for a long time now. And, and we just got, uh, got our window today. And I kind of wanted to ask him about um, the animation that he's done. He's done a lot of voiceover work. So I, I just really wanted right. to name drop Captain Planet and the Planeteers and, and Transformer Rescue Bots mm-hmm. because those are just awesome shows. Right, and yeah. He was like, not just like a, a background character, like he has a pretty central character on both of those. Um, but we just didn't get to it. So if, if, that's, if you tuned in and you downloaded this episode with LeVar Burton because you wanted to hear him reminisce about Captain Planet, I, I got bad news for you. <laughs> But if you if you want to hear, you know, a brilliant conversation about reading Rainbow, childhood literacy, Roots, the cultural impact of Roots and why mm-hmm. the reboot is going to blow our minds just like the original did and Star Trek The Next Generation, you are in the right place. And believe me, he has very thoughtful and, you know, well put together answers. He's really passionate. And also a little clickbait, stick around to the end. You're going to hear some career moments that make make him cringe. <laughs> oh, you clickbaited! Me. I clickbaited you, but it's there. They've already clicked, so it's okay. You're there. You stay. You stay there till the end. You're not gonna believe it. <laughs> <laughs> These three shows, Lavar Burton said he's embarrassed to have been on. <laughs> You'll never believe. You'll never believe. Number two. <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna play that interview for you right now with the legendary Lavar Burton. So I wanted to start out, it's not really a surprise, we're practically drowning these days in pop culture reboots and remakes, and rebooting franchises and properties from the 80s is particularly popular, but I don't think that I've ever been happier to see anything from my childhood make a return as I was when Reading Rainbow made a comeback a couple years ago. Um, How did you know that the time was right for it to to come back in such a big way? Um, Well... (laughs) I don't think you ever really know, unless you're a psychic, and I'm, and I'm not. <laughs> um, when Reading Rainbow was taken off the air in 2009, I saw that as an opportunity. Um, I knew that the, the mission still 
existed, the need to connect emerging readers to literature so that they form a relationship with the written word still existed, even though the show was not going to be in rotation on PBS in their, you know, in their early childhood education um, uh, slots. So that was it. It was at that time that my business partner and I sort of made a plan and and uh, tackled the gargantuan feat of securing the rights from WNED, the Buffalo Public Television Station. Once we were successful at having the rights in our hands, I knew immediately that television was not where I wanted to reboot Reading Rainbow. Mm -hmm. There was a real opportunity in the digital base. I didn't know what we were going to do, but I, kn I knew it was going to be in the digital realm. And then the iPad came out. And then I thought, well, this is perfect. Because on tablet computers, we can maintain the integrity of what Reading Rainbow was always about. Combining good literature, good children's books with the video field trip, real world experience, giving kids an idea that, you know, can go anywhere and be anything. And so that became our focus, to translate what was a television show into an app experience, an, a, a digital online experience for kids that, at its essence, was still reading Rainbow. The only thing that changed was the technology with which we delivered it. Technology. The television was the technology that we used in the 80s, mm -hmm. and that's what gave us access to the audience. Yeah. And if you want to reach kids today, I truly believe that you need to be on the devices that they want to be on. Yeah. My daughter is in first grade right now, and she actually came home from school a couple weeks ago uh, singing the, the, the Rating Rainbow theme. No. Um, it, and it just it kind of it warmed my heart because it was like that that's something completely unprompted and un you know I I didn't that's push awesome. it on her you know the way I might some other things but it it, it, <laughs> yeah, it was just like something from my childhood has, has crossed that boundary naturally like like yeah. organically yeah. and is still so popular and so successful with kids today. Yeah. What is it about that the format of you know? I don't even know if you could call it a show anymore, but what is it about that format? Is it is it that, that message that you can go anywhere and do anything? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. It, it is that message. I, I think it, it is the, the it, it's storytelling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's storytelling. At its, at its pure and simple form, it's, it's all about the storytelling. It's about the quality of the literature. And, you know, in the digital realm, we have an opportunity to take these books and you know, give them some bells and whistles. And at Reading Rainbow, we are very, very conscious of the need and necessity to not give them bells and whistles just for the sake of bells and whistles, but to have those interactions help tell the story, yeah. right? Serve right. the story, right? always first and foremost in our mind. And then, as I said before, the, the other half of our secret sauce is the video field trips. I, I, I do believe that we are creating some of the best video content for kids in the world. And I, and I mean that. And we always have. And so it's, the, it's the, the quality of the storytelling of our video field trips combined with the magic of the literature that does the job. 
Right. Now, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say you've gone on hundreds of adventures and location shots for the show over the years. So do, yeah. you have, do you have any that still stick with you after all this time? I remember almost all of them. Really? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's how indelible these experiences are for me. I, I have done some remarkable and, and had phenomenal adventures myself over these 30 three some odd years i learned how to fly a plane in 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 the show ruth law thrills nation that is me landing <laughs> that airplane for dive to the coral reefs i learned how to scuba dive um for hill of fire we went to hawaii we stood at the summit of kilauea in the middle of a volcano erupting a fountain of lava going off over my shoulder a quarter of a mile away. These are experiences that I will treasure for the rest of my life. Um, one of the, the new Reading Rainbow initiatives is Skybrary, and it's, yeah. um, you guys are hoping to bring it into more classrooms. What can you tell us about that? Well, when we launched the Reading Rainbow app in, in the summer of 2012, um, immediately one of the things that came to our attention was that teachers were using it um, and sort of rigging the system. Reading Rainbow has always been a popular brand with teachers. When we were a television show, it was one of the most used television resources in the classrooms right. in North America. And we found out that teachers were taking the Reading Rainbow app and sort of loading five and six and seven kids on a profile because for the consumer product, you could only have five, five profiles, five identities, right? And, and, and so we thought, we can do better than that. We can, we can do much better than that. Teachers deserve a version of what it is we're doing that's designed for them. And so thanks to the Kickstarter campaign, that's exactly what we were able to do. We took our digital library, augmented it with, with even more books that are aligned to Common Core, um, more nonfiction in addition to our fiction literature, um, took all of our video field trips, we added lesson plans. We worked with educators and, and created lesson plans for a 40-week, a, a, a school year's worth of content based on what we've got in the app. You can roster 35 kids. There are printouts that you can hand out. to It's a, it's a turnkey solution for teachers to use in the classroom with their emerging readers. And I'm really proud of what, what we are continuing to do in terms of connecting kids to literature mm -hmm. and, and thereby having an impact on their lives for the whole of their lives. I'm wondering if, has the, the, the vetting process, for lack of a better term, changed at all be, for how you choose the books between when you were the show and then now for Skybrary? And if you could give a peek behind, you know, sort of how that selection process is made. Well, to pull back the curtain a little bit on, on the, the original television series, we featured one book per episode. Mm -hmm. We did, on average, for the 26 years, we did about 10 to 12 new episodes a year. So, and then there were three, sometimes four, review books that were also part of each episode. Mm -hmm. So we, we, were, we, had to, we had very few slots for for exposure, and that's simply not the case. We are a library. We're a digital <laughs> library now. 
and we feature hundreds of books. And they, in, in, in Skybury School, there's, there are close to a thousand, probably a thousand now, because we add new content, new books, new videos every week. So there's over a thousand books in our digital library now, and close to 300 video field trips, new video field trips. And so we work these days with publishers, both large established publishers, medium-sized publishers, small independent publishers. Um, we published um, our first book, which was my first children's book, The Writer Who Swallowed a Storm, last year. Uh, we have the opportunity to feature and highlight many, many, many more books today yeah. than we ever did when, as a television show. Is this the, the future of childhood literacy? I mean, is, is it necessary to take everything digital? Everything, no. Is it necessary that we include digital in our diet? Yeah. yeah. And I, I genuinely believe that going forward, we will as a society come to the conclusion that it is not necessarily sustainable to continue to make books out of trees. We're going to need to continue this shift from print to digital. I, now, having said that, we're still going to print books, right? Right, and and among the category of books we will always print, I believe, is children's books mm-hmm. because of that very essential, defining lap experience, passing that tradition from one person to another, from generation to generation. It's essential part of who we are. That will never change. However. We will all be consuming a lot more of our reading material on digital devices going forward. Right. That being said, and with that understanding that that is the direction that we are ultimately going, how do we save libraries? Like, how do we still get kids and families into our libraries? That's a great question. We we are having to look at all sorts of necessities for adaptation in society today based on evolution and the evolution of technology and its role in our lives. I think that libraries will will play an increasingly more important role for us as they are the repositories of all of that printed treasure. And they 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 will become palaces of pleasure for that treasure. Mm. I love it. I love it. Um, shifting, shifting gears just a little bit, um, since we're coming up on uh, the uh, next week, I believe, is when the when Roots airs. Yeah. Um, now, come talk, to, about, come to, talk about reboots. Talk about reboots, exactly. <laughs> now, Kunta, it's not, I mean, Kunta Kinte was your breakout role. And yeah. knowing what you went through at the beginning of your career and how that changed your life, yeah. did you have any advice for Malachi Kirby? Um, on, only to reassure him of the importance of him interpreting the role through his own lens. Yeah. Um, which he does magnificently. And he, he didn't need any help from me. <laughs> Um, but he did. I, I'm I'm thrilled to see it. I'm super excited. But I'm, I am too. I'm really proud of this. Yeah, I, I really am. Because I, number one, I'm not a huge fan of remakes. I often think that 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 they 
failed to live up to the legacy of the originals. And, and, and that's not always true. I mean, I, look, I, 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 and I don't believe I'm fooling myself. I believe that, that Star Trek The Next Generation absolutely lived up to the legacy mm-hmm. of the original and, and in some ways um, added to that legacy. In many ways, yeah. added to that legacy. Um, I believe that we nailed it in the transition of reading Rainbow as a television show to a digital experience for kids. And I believe that we um, are positioned to continue to be a part of the solution as to how we can better educate our kids. And I never believed that Roots would ever be remade. I didn't believe that it should be remade. But once I was convinced that it needed to be remade, that we needed to share this story with a generation that did not know it and needed to, then it it became my point of focus to do everything within my power to help make it as good an experience for the audience as possible. And and one that, that satisfied my need to do honor to the original and to make the ancestors, Alex Haley and David Wolper and Stan Margulies, David Green, the director, all of those who worked on the first roots to make them proud. Okay, Roots came out at a special time in, a, in the history of television, and I can't really think of another show that had such a lasting cultural impact. Um, do, you, do you think something like that is still possible in today's fragmented TV model? If you're asking me if, if I think that we can garner the sorts of unprecedented numbers, viewing audience, um, ratings, share that, that right. route, no. However, we are, we are premiering and broadcasting almost day and date for the rest of the world as we are here in the United States uh, on, on May 30th. So Roots eventually had a worldwide audience, but it, it, it rolled out over several years. Mm-hmm. Roots will be seen by an international audience in a week and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and there will, I, I suspect there will be an international conversation, which is great because when you think about it, depending upon who you talk to, only five to fifteen percent of those ships who left that left West Africa ended up on these shores in North America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The rest of those ships went to the Caribbean, to Europe. So the modern world as we know it was built on the backs of people of color who came from West Africa. So this is this is a global story. Mm-hmm. It may be being told through the eyes of this particular family that landed in Annapolis, Maryland. But this is our commons. This is the history of how the world that we know today was built. Yeah, and that that immediate global audience was not something that you could have had back in no. the 70s no. and the 80s. And then think about it. Roots, when it aired originally, it was broadcast in eight consecutive nights, 12 hours over eight consecutive nights. Well, that's kind of like the precursor to binge-watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That's a good point. <laughs> the original Netflix. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think that, that, that 
I just I, I I'm very encouraged. I think our timing is really good. I think that that Roots is relevant mm-hmm. um, and as timely, if not more timely, than it was uh, when it aired in, in 1977. Um, I think that we have an, an audience that a deserves to hear this story, needs to hear this story, and is primed to see this story. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think it's. I, it I, is... I, 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 I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, I think it is. It is perfect timing, and I. I... I'm very excited to see it. Um, if you had never been cast in Roots, or if your acting career had never taken off, where what would you be doing right now? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now the tough questions come out, right? <laughs> yeah, at the end. You, you, you couldn't have led with this? <laughs> um, well, before, uh, before I started studying theater, um, I was in the seminary. I was studying for the priesthood. Um, but I had left that part of my life behind when I embarked on, on my, my, uh, my theater arts career. Um, if it hadn't been Roots, I probably would have graduated with my BFA in, in, in theater, moved to New York, and, and I hoped that I would be working on the East Coast. I'd be working on Broadway. That was my intention, anyway. I had no, I wasn't thinking about television at all. You know, the auditioning for Kunta Kente as a, as, a, as a sophomore sort of, not sort of, it absolutely changed the course and trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to think that I would have been successful at, at manifesting that dream of, of going and working in New York on Broadway. I, I don't know if you watched... Um... Chaos on the Bridge, Shatner's documentary about Next Gen. I haven't seen it yet, no. Um, it reveals a lot of the behind-the-scenes drama and fighting that was going on among the creators during the first few seasons of the show. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure... Was there, was there a lot of chaos? Is, what's that? There was a lot of chaos? There was a lot of chaos. Not just okay. a clever name. Um, the tension makes for great drama. <laughs> I mean, as an actor on the show, how much of that were you aware of at the time? Not not a whole lot. Yeah. No. Um, we were, well, at least I was, uh, and I, I think I can speak for my castmates, we were trying to find the characters. We had our hands full. I don't know if you remember this, but at, at the beginning, there was all sorts of skepticism. Oh, sure. There was, the, which I found really kind of baffling because... I'm a Star Trek fan myself, and my assumption was that Star Trek fans and aficionados would be open-minded, by definition. <laughs> but, the, but the overwhelming feeling was, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, they I like only got ruined like. my heart for one Star Trek, and that's Kirk and company. Yeah, so, they, they like what they like. Don't mess with what, what they know exactly. to be true. So we had a real uphill battle those first couple of seasons. And, and I know, because we've had this conversation among ourselves, we all feel that it wasn't until the third season that we really began to hit our stride in terms of the, the, the storytelling, the writing, and the acting. Um, it all began to come together. And even behind the scenes, I mean, the first couple of seasons, it was not uncommon to work you know, 12, 14, 16, sometimes 18 hour a day. But after a while, we sort of, we got grooved at 
that at a very visual effects intensive shooting schedule. We shot every single one of those episodes in seven days. Amazing. Seven days per episode. Yeah. <laughs> 26 episodes a year, 10 months straight. It was grueling. And we needed, we had to get up to speed. It, it took the first, the first couple of hiatuses, we were all exhausted. Sure. But we began to build up a muscle by, see, by, by, by the time hiatus came season, between seasons four and five, we were like, hey, what else can I do? <laughs> During this two-month vacation, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's like a muscle. Yeah. You have to build up that kind of stamina. Um, you, have to, you have to groove that writer's room. There's going to be changes. There's going to be flux. There's, there's going to be upheaval on the producing and the writing staff. Sure. And you've, 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 you've got to sort that stuff out to find out who the A-team is. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, after so many years of, of playing the character, you're saying you, you, it was so hard to find the groove at the beginning, but I'm sure that there are aspects of Jordy at the end of the, you know, the end of the run, the last movie that were, that were all you and didn't come from the writers at all. Oh yeah. So when you think back or you look at that character, which parts of him are actually parts of you? Um, I had a conscious intention to infuse Jordy with this spirit of we can do anything. Yeah. That, that I love my job. Because I'm so grateful to be here on the best, the best, the flagship of the Federation. And Jordy was a shit-hot engineer. He was very <laughs> confident in his, his abilities. And, and I think in terms of the family, Jordy had sort of a lighter energy signature. You know? He, he didn't take himself as seriously as War. No, he didn't, but he knew War. his stuff. Like I'm saying. Yeah, he, like, like I'm saying, he was a stone-cold pro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you, in addition to, to being Jordy, you also directed a number of Star Trek episodes from every series, except yeah. the original, obviously. Um, yeah. Do you have any interest, or maybe you can't even talk about it, but is there any interest on your part of getting involved with the new show that's coming up? Uh, you know, um, I, I, I watched the, tra- the, uh, the trailer that CBS released Yeah. yeah. And it was like, ooh, goosebumps. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, if, if, if they ask um, me to come and direct, I, I, I'd have to say, yeah. I'm, uh, I think Brian Fuller's a talented guy. Yeah, definitely. And he's a fan. Yeah. Right. Which makes a difference to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that bodes well that he's a fan. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I hate that yeah. phrase because I've been using it so much about so many different things, but yeah. I, am, I am very hopeful for this show. Yeah, I am too. And I, and I know how deep the, the thirst runs for, you know, another Star Trek television yeah. series. And so here it comes. Here it comes. Um, <laughs> I hope the ship don't crash. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's written in. Unless that's part of the script. So you've been lucky enough to be involved in a number of projects that truly became cultural touchstone, 
touchstones, roots, Star Trek, reading Rainbow. Is there any aspect of your career that you hold above all else, so the gem in your crown, if you will? I've, I've, I've got a hat trick that most actors... <laughs> I think we, we're all lucky to, to get one of those oh, yeah. right. in a career. Um, to have this... Uh, to have this triple crown is, is really um, quite extraordinary. Very, very great. Yeah. That's also due to your talent, though. That did, didn't just happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love what I do. I yeah. genuinely do. I, I absolutely love what I do. And it was Roots that gave me the, the courage to really strive to be involved with other properties in the popular culture that do more than just entertain. I, I've tried to to carry that standard um, and make decisions by that standard uh, as best as I've been able for the past 40 years. Um, by know. contrast, are there any moments of your career that just kind of make you cringe? Well, I, 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 I did Fantasy Island. Although, <laughs> although Sammy Davis Jr. did play my father in that episode. Um, yeah, I, so. I also did The Love Boat. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I did Murder, She Wrote. Um, nice. well, but see, those are but, shows, I feel like if you were an actor in the 70, late 70s or early 80s, everybody yeah. did those shows. It was right. like being on Star Trek The Next Generation as, yeah. an, as a working yeah. actor. Like, right. everybody got an episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, there you have it. Yeah. But those uh, aren't really that cringeworthy. Those are, those I, are... Look, a couple of years ago, I did a zombie movie. Because <laughs> um, I believe that everybody should have at least one zombie movie on their resume. <laughs> and so I've checked off that box now. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go find that now because I haven't seen it. <laughs> ah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's pretty bad. LeVar, I know we don't have any more time with you. I could easily sit here for another hour and talk, but thank you so much for your time. Awesome, guys. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. It is amazing how half an hour just goes by so quick when you're talking right? to someone like LeVar Burton. Right? <laughs> I know. I mean, honestly, we could have sat there for a long time. I mean, he's just... He's one of those. It's a conversation you love to have, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, this. It's not. It's not somebody else, you know. When you do certain interviews and you're like, so tell me about your new project. Why did you like being this character? You know. I mean, this was. If you've listened to our show before and you know some of the guests that we've had on, you know that reading and childhood literacy and children's books are hugely important. Hugely important to us as well. We've had a lot of authors on, a lot of illustrators, mm-hmm. a lot of children's book creators. Um, it's something that's really near and dear to my heart. Uh, I, I, it's, it's literally what I get paid to do. Um, you know, my day job is working for a company that works in education. Um, almost all of my adult life has been dedicated to education in some form. So it's, this is a very important topic, um, and I'm just thrilled to be able to share some of this with you guys. And I just. Again, I can't I can't stop thinking about uh, uh, his answer about roots, uh, just how it's going to impact the world and his, inter- you know, his answer about yeah. it going international. Yeah. And it was just it was beautiful what he had to say about it. I just 
Oh, LaFar Burton. <laughs> yeah. no, I, and I wasn't lying. I really am looking forward to seeing this. I don't know if yeah. this episode is going to be um, before or after it, it, it airs on the History Channel. Um, if it's before, I'm super excited to watch it. And if it's after, wasn't that amazing? Because <laughs> you know it's going to be. Of course it's going to be. Now, one thing I should have floated by him was what he thought about Jonathan Frakes' Kardashian-style uh, uh, pilot in space, him and Troy. Do, oh do you remember yeah, you should have asked about that. With, with, see if he would want to direct something like that. <laughs> Maybe it's for the best we didn't ask. Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> we won't go there. All right, guys, thank you so much for clicking subscribe. Hello to all of our new listeners. We see you. <laughs> thank you for coming. Thank you for liking our Facebook page. Uh, for the last uh, little bit, we've noticed uh, influx and likes and comments and different things like that, so... Thank you. Thank you for coming and listening and taking part in the conversation. We love having you. And I mean, we're just doing this for us. No, just, <laughs> no we're, we're totally doing it. Like we, we want to talk to people like LeVar, you know, where a lot of people like yourself, you may not ever have the chance to talk to LeVar. So we'll ask the questions for you so you can hear, you know, something beyond the canned, you know, usual style of interview that you'll hear other places so i'm, I'm, I'm hoping we bring that to the table <laughs> as am i <laughs> i'm hoping if, if Good not job, Justin. if not i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> yeah no it's you know that's what we do is we want to bring people's creative journeys and and unique perspectives to our audience and uh and uh yeah we try to steer clear of the uh the canned mm-hmm dime a dozen type of questions and, and ask something that's a little bit unique, a little bit different and uh, try to get good conversations. Jamie has a star on his wall behind it for every time we've heard. That's a great question. He, he reaches over and he draws another one. <laughs> if I had a nickel, I might almost have, you know, a quarter by now. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. We are at the GBB podcast on Facebook and Twitter. I am Justin at 140 Justin C. I am Jamie at The Roarbots. And you've been listening to The Great Big Beautiful Podcast. If you haven't hit subscribe, do it now. (laughs) Have a great week. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.